On the 3rd of December 2019, the Guild of Entrepreneurs came together at the magnificent Draper's Hall to present its annual Rawley Lecture. Alongside many of the masters from other livery companies, we were joined by 120 plus students from schools supported both by our own guild, but also those of those other livery companies. In this broadcast, we were joined by Dr. Ruben Van Werven of the Cass Business School, who delivered the 2019 Rawley Lecture on the subject of the Fourth Industrial Revolution, its context and its impact on entrepreneurship. This evening's lecture will be given by Dr. Ruben Van Werven, who appears this evening courtesy of Cass Business School. Ruben is a lecturer in entrepreneurship at Cass. And prior to joining CAS, Ruben was assistant professor at a university in Amsterdam, where he also wrote his PhD thesis. He's mainly interested in early stage entrepreneurship, with a focus on pitching and mentoring. Specifically, he examines the rhetoric entrepreneurs use when trying to convince investors to fund their new venture. He also applies a linguistic perspective to studying how entrepreneurs respond to feedback provided by third-party advisors. As well as that, he's published several research papers, one of which is The Power of Arguments, How Entrepreneurs Convince Stakeholders of the Legitimate Distinctiveness of Their Ventures. And he's attended numerous conferences on entrepreneurship. I hope you enjoyed this year's Raleigh Lecture and I would like to th invite Ruben to deliver the fourth industrial revolution, its context and its impact on entrepreneurship. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thank you for the introduction. And also, thank you very much for the invitation to deliver the Raleigh Lecture this evening in this beautiful venue. I can guarantee you looks a lot better than any of the grooms we have at Cass Business School. So it's a pleasure to, to be here and to talk to you about a topic I really enjoy doing research on and teaching at CAS. Um, so what I would like to talk about tonight is entrepreneurship and why people decide to start a career as an entrepreneur. Why they decide to set up their own company rather than join a company that someone else has started. And I would like to connect that talk uh, to some of the things you have been discussing uh, today, earlier today, about the fourth industrial revolution. So, most people who start a company do so because they believe they have identified an opportunity, a gap in the market, something that hasn't been addressed by other companies, something that they believe that if they jump on it and if they start a company, they can add value for customers, for the economy, and for themselves. And there are many different sources of opportunities. Some of them are internal, an entrepreneur's personal experience, an entrepreneur's personal drive and ambition can really convince that person to go out and try to start a company for themselves. But there are also external shocks that can convince an entrepreneur that this is the right time to start a new company. And those external shocks can be political. One famous, well-known example of that is when the Soviet Union collapsed. Because of that collapse, many resources and organizations previously owned and run by the state were free. So some entrepreneurs who happened to have some money decided to take that opportunity and take over those businesses and created a lot of wealth for themselves and for their customers. Another example of an external shock 
is an industrial revolution, which is what you have talked about today. So in your resource pack, you saw that the industrial revolution can have a large impact on the society and on the economy. Uh, it changes the amount of jobs that are out there. Some jobs might be automated and disappear. Other jobs might be created for people who manage and develop new technologies. Job roles might change. People might have to move away from just managing people in a traditional fashion to becoming more used to doing that in a more dynamic and creative environment and to have to work with new technologies and large amounts of data. So those changes in job roles might also require new skills, skills that are not uh, as useful, in, that were not as useful 100 years ago. Processing data, analyzing them, adapting to many changes, using and developing new technologies. So these are changes that are caused by an industrial revolution and might affect people's existing jobs. But they might have another impact as well. They might create opportunities for people to start a new business. Some entrepreneurs go out there and observe that a technological shift or another shift is happening. And they think that if they start a new company that makes use of that shift or that translates that technology into an actual physical product, they can start a sustainable company. And there are many examples of that. In each of the industrial revolutions that we have gone through in the past, entrepreneurs have stepped in and created value based on them. In the 1700s, when steam changed the economy and society, in the 1800s, when electricity was the main driver, and also in the previous century, when computing changed the economy as we know it. And these are some of the companies that were created, that were based on those technologies. And I'm sure you all know them. These are companies that made use of these technologies and developed the hardware and software that is needed to live in the computing age. And still, those companies are some of the largest in the world. In fact, Microsoft and Apple are still the two most valuable companies that are around now worldwide. And you can say, Maybe these companies or these entrepreneurs, maybe they did not do that deliberately. Maybe they just got lucky because they started a company at the right time. And that might be the case. But there are also a lot of entrepreneurs who deliberately, consciously scan the environment, looking for changes that they can benefit from and turn into their own advantage. And to illustrate that, I would now like to watch uh, with you a fragment from a video in which someone you all know very well talks about how he started his own company. Brother, who are you? I'm Jeff Bezos. And what, are you, what is your claim to fame? <laughs> I'm the founder of Amazon.com. Where did you get an idea for Amazon.com? Well, three years ago, I was in New York City working for a quantitative hedge fund when I came across the startling statistic that web usage was growing at 2,300% a year. So I decided I would try and find a business plan that made sense in the context of that growth. And I picked books as the first best product to sell online, which are making a list of like 20 different products that you might be able to sell. And books were great as the first best, because books are incredibly unusual in one respect, and that is that there are more items in the book category than there are items in any other category by far. 
music is number two. There are about 200,000 active music CDs at any given time. But in the book space, there are more than three million different books worldwide active and in print at any given time across all languages. More than one and a half million in English alone. So when you have that many items, you can literally build a store online that couldn't exist any other way. And that's important right now because the web is still an infant technology. Basically right now, if you can do things using a more traditional method, you probably should do them using the more traditional method. What kind of inventory do you keep? We inventory... Uh... So what I like about this video is that it's over 20 years old, and if you listen to Jeff Bezos carefully, you can tell that he saw a new development. He saw that the internet was on the rise. And back then, over 20 years ago, this was still a very nascent technology. Not many people had recognized what the internet can do. He did, though. He said, internet use is growing. I need to make use of it by setting up some sort of shop that uh, can, can enable me to create a valuable company. And he, you can tell by listening to him that he really carefully went through all the options which product is most suitable to sell on the internet. And his conclusion was that that was books. And, well, knowing where Jeff Bezos and Amazon are right now, that was probably the right choice. Obviously, the company has grown and spread out and diversified over the course of these last two decades, but his initial choice turned out to be a good one. So in that sense, an industrial revolution New technology can form an inspiration for entrepreneurs, create opportunities for them. And the opportunity that Jeff Bezos has exploited was probably more related to the fourth than to the third industrial revolution. It was not so much about computing as about connecting. He managed to create an online platform where sellers and buyers could meet each other and do something that people couldn't do in a general bookstore. A bookstore can never be large enough or can financially afford it to offer all the different kinds of books that Amazon offered in their first few years. So he managed to make use of that technology. And he was not the only one. Facebook, Snapchat, allow people to connect with their friends and with other people and share the things that, that they care about or see what other people share and show their reactions to it. Other companies allow you to connect online to people who provide services to you. Um, Uber, Airbnb are examples of that. As you saw in your resource pack, these companies don't own any assets. They don't own hotel rooms. They don't own any cars. They just use the internet and this technology to connect people to each other. So in that sense, yes, the industrial revolution can create many opportunities for entrepreneurs. Then the question is, who are these entrepreneurs? Who are these opportunities created for? And often when I'm teaching this topic at CAS, I ask a question to the students. Who do you think about when you first think about an entrepreneur? Whose face is the first face to pop up in your mind? Take five seconds to think about that. Who is the first person you think of? So the most common answers that I get are these three people. Steve Jobs, the late Steve Jobs, who was the CEO of Apple and made Apple big, helped him grow. Elon Musk, 
who made a lot of money with PayPal and is now using that money to fuel all sorts of other entrepreneurial <coughs> initiatives, such as Tesla and SpaceX, being really innovative, and Mark Zuckerberg, who started Facebook. And Facebook is now obviously much more than just that social networking site for Harvard students that he initially set out uh, to be. And sometimes I get a few other names, British names, Mark Cuban, Richard Branson. Can I see a show of hands? Who of you thought about these three people or about Mark Cuban or Richard Branson? So that's quite a lot of you. And one thing that a lot of people in government, but also in research say, is really important for people to start a career as an entrepreneur, is to have a suitable role model. So as you can tell by looking at the amount of hands I just showed, people who only thought about these five entrepreneurs, these three plus Branson and Cuban, is that these people are clearly role models for a lot of people. They inspire people to start a career as an entrepreneur. Yet, they are not probably role models for everybody because they are not the average person. There are some things that these people have in common that make them into a very limited group of people. Just looking at these photos and knowing their stories will show you that they are all, these three, they are all American, they are all active in IT, so making use of the fourth industrial revolution. They're all highly successful, celebrity entrepreneurs who get covered in the media pretty much every day. They're all men. They're all white men from the US. So in terms of role model, yes, they do inspire a lot of people, but there might also be people out there that do not feel addressed when they listen to stories from or about these people. Women, for example. Where are the women entrepreneurs in these stories? Why are they less likely to pop up in people's minds? Even though there are many great recent examples of female entrepreneurs that are doing really well. Someone who has recently got quite a lot of media attention is Ida Tin, who you see on the left-hand side of this slide, on your left. Um, she's active in Femtech, a new branch of the fourth industrial revolution. Entrepreneurs who develop technological products that help women monitor and improve their health. So she founded Clue, an app that helps women track their menstruation cycles. Obviously, as a female entrepreneur, you don't have to focus on female customers. The other two ladies you see on this slide founded more general companies. In the middle, you see Anne Bowden. She started Starling, one of the disruptor banks in fintech that is now out there online only, getting millions of pounds in investments from investors, and is growing really fast. On this side, you see Julia Hart, an American entrepreneur, who was one of the founders of Eventbrite, who you probably know as an event management and ticketing website. Many events also here are organized through Eventbrite, again, being really successful. So there are role models for female entrepreneurs as well. Same if you think about ethnicity, the people that most of my students mention to me, the names that most of my students mention to me, are of white men. There are many examples of successful entrepreneurs from other ethnicities. Jack Ma might be the most famous one these days. Started Alibaba, 
um, just left the company, but he built one of the most valuable companies in the world. It's definitely top five worldwide. In the middle, you see Sachin and Binny Bansal. They started Flipkart, which, if I simplify it, is the Indian version of Amazon. Their company got bought by Walmart last year for $16 billion, also very successful. Here, on the left-hand side, you see Dopsy Abiola. She's an example of an English entrepreneur. Um, she has been mentioned by the FT as one of the most important leading minority ethnic entrepreneurs. She started an initiative called Intern Avenue, which again uses the technologies from the fourth industrial revolution to connect people to internships and graduate jobs. So what I'm trying to say with this is, there are opportunities out there and there are role models for everyone. Everyone in this room can find an example of someone who is similar to them and that can inspire them to become an entrepreneur. So the Industrial Revolution does not just provide opportunities for a small subset of the population. It provides opportunities for everyone. But what you might think when you go through all these examples is, even for me, if I don't have the hard skills, if I don't know how to code or to program, because all of the examples I just gave were from FinTech, Femtech, online marketplaces, online banks, so still all very much related to this fourth industrial revolution. So if you don't have these hard skills, can you still become an entrepreneur? Yeah, sure you can. Because even today, many people start non-technology companies. But often, because the media and everyone else is so focused on technology companies, these entrepreneurs do not get as much attention in the media. You might forget about them, even though they are building large companies, but they simply don't get the same level of attention. Some examples here. Damon John in the US started FUBU in the 90s, a hip-hop apparel brand. Turns over, I think, around 200 million US dollars every year. But also on a more local scale, I decided to check out what my local grocery store, who started that company, they are the Kara brothers. You see one of the brothers in the middle. And, and that kind of company, those kinds of initiatives, often go under the radar, but are very successful. They now own 50 different stores throughout the country. And you can even become a great entrepreneur using today's technologies if you are not necessarily interested in scaling up in order to make more money. Anne-Marie Imaphedon, on your right-hand side, started STEM Ads an initiative that is trying to promote uh, STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths under women or young girls, hoping to convince them to start a career in that sector. So even in this day and age, many people start non-technology companies. That's one option if you don't have the hard skills to start an IT company. Another option is to partner up with people that do have those skills. Brian Chesky is one of the co-founders of, of Airbnb. He doesn't know how to code or how to program. He might understand the basics, but he's definitely not the chief technology officer. But he partnered up with people who did have those skills. And now he's leading one of the main holiday rental sites in the world. Or you could actually use the opportunities created by the fourth industrial revolution 
and go online on one of these platforms to find a partner who does have the hard skills that you may lack. This is the homepage of Co-Founders Lab, just one of the examples of platforms where people can go to find a technical co-founder or another type of entrepreneur that has some skills or experience that they themselves lack. So again, the point I'm trying to make is the fourth industrial revolution creates opportunities for everyone, even for people without the hard skills, because soft skills are still really important. Creativity, coming up with new ideas, solving problems in your local context, working with other people in a team, they are still crucial skills these days. So there are opportunities for everyone, there are role models for everyone. Does that mean we should all start our own company? Don't know, maybe not, because it's a really specific type of career. So it doesn't matter whether you are a man or a woman, or what ethnical background you have, what cultural background or skills you have. But there might be certain things in people's personality and ambition that might affect whether they are cut out to be an entrepreneur. And to discuss that, I want to talk about these six main reasons, briefly, uh, for people to start their own company. They are motivation to increase wealth, necessity, increasing your locus of control, I'll say what that means later, Desire for autonomy, desire for self-actualization, and a need for achievement. I think these six can be grouped in three groups of two. The first group would be things related or reasons related to finance or money. Some people simply decide to, to, to start a company because they've heard all these stories about Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk and want to become as rich as they are. On a slightly more negative note, other people start a company out of necessity. Maybe they have lost their job in an economic crisis. There are not many other jobs out there. So the only option, the only alternative they see is starting a business of their own. So these people are mostly driven by financial reasons. Is that the best reason to start a company? It might be if you are successful. But look at these statistics. These are statistics for of the Office for National Statistics here in the UK. And it shows how many businesses survive the first five years of their life. So if you look at the companies that were born in 2013, you see that one year later, this bar, 90% of the companies is still around. But you also see that gradually over the years, most companies don't survive as long. After five years, only about 40% of the company is, is still alive. And alive here doesn't mean that they are multi-million pound businesses. Some of them might be dormant. The entrepreneur might not be very active. Some of the entrepreneurs might still be struggling, muddling through, hoping to make that big jump that they've all been hoping for. So it's not a surefire chance of getting, making a lot of money. In fact, it is really risky. So for people who decide that they want to make money, probably there are safer ways of making money. Going to work for a corporate and trying to climb the corporate ladder also makes, gives you a good income, probably not as much as when you start your own business, but at least you have a permanent contract, hopefully, and you know that at the end of the month, your company will pay you some money. Those are things that you cannot be sure of when you start your own company. There might not be a paycheck at the end of the month, especially in the first few years. So only start 
if you are willing to accept those risks and push through and are confident and ambitious enough to maybe go through these difficult initial five years. Other set of reasons for, for people to start their company. One is they want to expand their locus of control, which means that some people, they like when they work to have control over all the things that happen, the events that unfold in their lives. And some people believe that they can best do that when they are independent and when they, are their own, uh, when they have their own business, because then no one else impacts their performance. It's all, their performance is all an outcome of their own decisions and their own actions. Related to that, these people like to be autonomous. They like to be free. They like to start work and finish work whenever they think it's time to start or finish. They don't want any boss or supervisor to tell them what to do. They want to make their own decisions. In fact, autonomy is the most commonly mentioned reason among people uh, who want to start their own business. But do they actually really always experience this autonomy? Do they always have control over their actions? These are some figures uh, from a research paper written by one of my former colleagues in Amsterdam. And he tracks the development of autonomy and control over the years. So in the top left, you see how much autonomy entrepreneurs have in the early phase of starting up their business, maybe in the first year or two. So what he found is that entrepreneurs often, TS means temporarily sacrifice, they temporarily sacrifice some autonomy over their working hours in the first few years because they know they have to work hard to make it work, to launch their company. They have to put in many hours. And ideally, they move to the right, to the currently exercised CE amount of autonomy, if it all works out. But for many entrepreneurs who don't make it through that first stage, they go down to IL. Their autonomy is lost involuntarily because they work so hard, they put in all this effort, and they never manage to get a big breakthrough. So they end up putting in 80, 100 hours a week and never really are successful enough to determine their own working hours. You can also find interesting development patterns when entrepreneurs are working with a large client. So ideally, as an entrepreneur, you don't, for, for many people, they don't want anyone to tell them what to do. But if there is a very important customer or assignment, you're definitely going to listen to what these people want you to work on. If you don't, that might really affect the performance of your company. So again, you might say, I'm going to temporarily sacrifice some of my autonomy. I'll get it back later. That's only a question. How many important clients are there? How often are you going to do what they ask you to do? The worst case of loss of autonomy takes place when there's financial pressure, when the company is not doing very well. Uh, entrepreneurs will have to do anything they can uh, to, make their, to keep their company alive. Accept any assignment, even though it's an assignment they normally would not at all be interested in, but it brings some money in the bank. Only when it goes well, when entrepreneurs experience growth, they often start experiencing more autonomy. They can hire other people to maybe do the jobs that they don't like very much and create the freedom for themselves to focus on the tasks and activities that they like, whether that be developing new products, acquiring new clients, managing the business, anything that they think they are good at and that they would like to spend their time on. So autonomy and control, it sounds appealing initially, and if it all works out, you will experience it as an entrepreneur, 
but probably there are phases when, like a boss, there are still other people who are calling the shots and telling you what to do and when. Final two reasons, self-actualization and need for achievement. These are the more uh, personal development related reasons to start a business. Self-actualization means that people want to start their company because they believe that will bring the best out of them. They get the chance to develop their skills and their experience, do new things, learn new things, get really excited about that. Or they have a high need for achievement. They really want to perform at their very best. And they think that if they become an independent business owner, that will drive them to achieve their goals. Again, the question is, are entrepreneurs really experiencing these things? Do they feel that they live up to their best, uh, that they learn new things? Generally, yes, many entrepreneurs do, at least when you compare them to top managers in large corporations. They are more satisfied with the work they do than these corporate managers are. But there are also downsides. More and more research and more and more newspaper articles are coming out about the problems that entrepreneurs experience. These are some results from a survey uh, that was conducted amongst other, thing, amongst other media by the Sunday Times. As you can see, around 70% of entrepreneurs said that running a business affects their health, either their physical health, because they work so hard that they might not have time to sleep, or they skip meals and go for fast food, their mental health, if you have to go through these early stages, being stressed, uh, knowing that you are responsible not only for yourself, but also for your employees, uh, maybe your partner, uh, maybe your family, maybe your kids. There are lots of people who depend on your income. So if your business fails, then they feel that they are failing their family and their employees too, which creates a lot of stress. They might feel lonely, they might struggle with their sleep. So it's not all rosy. There are some downsides. So the point I'm trying to make here is, even though entrepreneurship can be a really exciting career path, and there are many opportunities provided by industrial revolutions or other things. There are lots of people who try it and who succeed. It's a career that is still not for everyone. It is for people who want to put certain things to the side, who want to devote a lot of time and energy and passion to their project and are willing to accept that they might not always get paid at the end of the month, that there might be stress, that there might be dire times when there is no client uh, and you don't know if your company is going to survive. Overall, many entrepreneurs would still say that it's worth it, but there are also issues. So irrespective of your gender or your ethnic background, there are opportunities out there that you can pursue, but whether or not you should do it is probably more a matter of, am I that kind of person? that is willing to give up, sacrifice certain things for a product I'm passionate about and that maybe will, will earn me a lot of money in the end. This is what I wanted to say today. Thank you all for listening. I'm happy to take questions later. If you want to know more about what drives entrepreneurs, um, what their life is like, there are some great entrepreneurs in the room today, members of the guild. Maybe you can talk to them afterwards uh, to learn something more. Um, I'm also happy to take questions, but for now, thank you for listening.